0: This week on Siblings on Record, Rush twenty one twelve. Hey, everybody, I'm Aaron Martell, and I am Shannon Fleming, Aaron's little sister. And welcome to Siblings on Record, a podcast where one of us picks a musical album, and together we spend the episode discussing it and analyzing it. This week, it's my pick, and I have selected Rush's 1976 breakthrough album, 2112. So, Shannon, Rush, tell us how you got into the band and how you discovered 2112.
1: Holy crow, how did I get into Rush? I guess like anybody else, it was Tom Sawyer. But the thing of it is, I must have heard it on the radio because I don't remember it necessarily through MTV, which, you know, at the time when we were younger, that was like pretty much the catalyst for a lot of music. But I did know Tom Sawyer and I can't remember how I knew it. It must have been from the radio. And I thought it was a pretty spacey song. It was really, really unique. And I liked it a lot. Twenty One Twelve came later on probably more so in my late teens. I knew the album, but I wasn't really well acquainted with it until we started studying it in preparation for this particular podcast. What else can you say about Rush? It's one of the most progressive rock bands in the entire world. Nobody plays like them. We're talking about three master musicians. I'm kind of speechless. (laughs) Aaron, what about you?
0: Oh, Rush, one of Canada's national treasures. So what do you get when you Pair the best rock bassist in the world with the best rock drummer in the world and a really good guitar player. You get Rush. Like you, I know, and we probably heard it around the same time we must have. It's Tom Sawyer, the song. I know I heard that on the radio. That's the first time I was even aware of Rush at all. I didn't like it when I first heard it. And I, the reason why is because I just couldn't deal with the vocals. Geddy's voice is so high It takes me a while sometimes to get into vocalists like that, especially when they get so high it becomes screechy. They grate on me. They annoy me. Now, enter the age of MTV where they played a lot of Rush videos frequently. I was starting to get used to the material, and I was starting to like it. I liked the instrumentation, the actual music itself, and Geddy's vocals were growing on me. Then I remember that you got into this band. I actually remember that you got into Rush before I did, I remember specifically saying to you, I'm thinking about getting into Rush, and you told me yes. Right. So that inspired me to pick up the compilation Chronicles, which was sort of an overview of Greatest Hits. I got that on CD. I love every single song in that fucking thing. So then I do what I always do. I do the deep dive. Very early on, I got 2112 because I knew that it was a critical and a fan favorite. So I figured it had to be one of the most popular albums, had to be one of their better albums. So I got that pretty early on in my Rush collecting. Eventually, I did get the entire Rush catalog. And now, of course, I'm a massive Rush fan. So here we are. So Shannon, can you give us some basic album facts about 2112?
1: Of course. 2112 is the fourth studio album by Canadian rock band Rush. It was released on April 1st, 1976, by Anthem Records and internationally by Mercury Records. It was recorded at Toronto Sound Studios, Toronto, Canada, and was produced by Terry Brown. It peaked at number five on the Canadian Albums Chart and number 61 on the US Billboard's Top LPs and Tape.
0: Okay, now I'm going to give you the band's lineup card. Rush is Getty Lee on vocals and bass guitar. Alex Lifeson on electric and acoustic guitars, and Neil Peart, and that is how you pronounce it, on drums and percussion. There is one additional musician I should mention, Hugh Syme on ARP Odyssey synthesizer and Mellotron. Now we're going to move into the track-by-track analysis of the record. Side one, or track one, is the 2112 Suite. The music is composed by Geddy Lee and Alex Lifeson, and the lyrics are all by Neil Peart. So side one of the album is occupied by the 20-minute futuristic science fiction song 2112. The seven-part track is based on a story by Peart, the band's primary lyricist, who credits the genius of Ayn Rand in the album's liner notes. Ayn Rand was a Russian-born Jewish-American novelist and inventor of the philosophy of objectivism. She wrote the 1937 dystopian fictional novella Anthem the plot of which bears several similarities to 2112, and all members of Rush read the book. The story of 2112 is set in the year 2112, where the hero lives in the bleakness of Megadon, a giant city reflecting on how we have had peace since 2062, when the surviving planets were banded together under the red star of the Solar Federation. So, part one of 2112 is Overture. (laughs)
1: it's a neat intro to this first part of this 20 minute song known as 2112 got that real spacey like sound keyboards and all that it's kind of heavy and then it breaks into the guitars though like that rock guitar with a delay on the end of it it's a great way to start this series of parts in the meek shall inherit the earth that's a quote right there in itself even though it's a lyric i like it what about you
0: Yeah, it starts out with the far out spacey keyboard intro played by Hugh Syme on his ARP Odyssey synthesizer with an Echo Plex delay pedal, and then it leads into a lengthy instrumental piece that rocks harder than a rhino's dick. (laughs) There are a bunch of time signature changes and numerous musical themes that pop up later in the album, which is what an overture basically does in classical music. Yes. The track is peppered with keyboard sound effects to keep the science fiction feel. I love it. It took me a little while to like sort of memorize how it goes because of the time signature changes. And I was really proud of myself when I memorized it. And I knew which part was coming up next and I could sort of hum it to myself. Right. So, yeah, I think it's a great way to kick off the record. We're off and running. Now we move on to part two of 2112, The Temples of Syrinx. And what do you think about this one?
1: I really like this song. I love the way that it breaks into it. You have the overture, and then we break into part two of Temples of the Syrinx, And you have like that guitar that kind of like switches into a different sound altogether. And then it takes like this bluesy type of feel to it. And then it picks right back up again. And I love the verse, but the chorus is what grabs me in this. It's just so rockin'. It's really, really catchy. I really like it a lot. It has like a classic Rush sound to me. Heavy, cool, awesome. What do you think?
0: I love this too. It has an excellent hard rock riff that starts it off. The chorus is catching. It's more or less the theme of the temple priests. It's often paired with the overture, even in concert. They're played together. It's sort of like one thing.
1: Yeah, they go, they just, they fit together so well.
0: Right. And then the lyrics. In this society, every facet of daily life is micromanaged by the priests of the Temple of Syrinx with the assistance of their great computers. There's no individual thinking or creativity. They control all the information, and the people all believe that they're happy because they don't know anything else all as well from their point of view. This definitely shows you what a dystopian society this is. So we move on to part three of 2112, Discovery.
2: What can this strange device be when I touch it? It gives forth a sound. It's got wires that vibrate
1: and give music. What can this thing be that I've found?
0: Shannon, what do you think about this one?
1: Actually, it sounds the way it should, the way the, the words go. You kind of open up with finding the guitar. And he's tuning it at first, and then he starts to lightly play it, and he suddenly can't wait to share it. And it has like a light feel, like a positive feeling. It's different from the programming that they've already received. He sings it kind of in his normal type of range, if you will. It's really kind of upbeat, and he has like this positive uplifting feel. I like that guitar. I like it a lot. What
0: about you? Yeah, I like it too. The first thing you hear is the sound of water running which is the waterfall in the story. The hero's discovered an old guitar in a cave behind a waterfall, and he's learning how to play it. Alex plays a gentle tune. There's no Neil Peart in this. And Getty's singing, it's tender, and as he's singing along, he's becoming more excited as he realizes that he can make his own music. It's the discovery of creativity, and that a person can have an individual voice. He's excited, he wants to show the priest the guitar, thinking he will be praised, and that the people will be able to make their own music. Hey, this is exciting, this will open up everything. I do like this, it's a quiet, gentler piece, and it's sort of a bridge from the Temples of Syrinx to the next part. Okay, so now we'll move into the next part, Part 4, Presentation.
2: Listen to my music
0: Shannon, how about this one?
1: It turns into like, you know, this upbeat acoustic sounding guitar. You know, he's singing like all positive and jolly. And it's kind of whimsical and dreamy sounding. Well, not dreamy, but more whimsical. You know, he's presenting this instrument to the priests. You know, look what I found. It's like this ancient miracle. It's pretty cool. But the priests are yelling back at him. They know about this already. It's nothing new. And they think it's a waste of time. They've kind of blocked it out of their perfect society, if you will. This protagonist is trying to convince these antagonists that this is something that could probably change things and make it more interesting, make life better. You've got the positive, hopeful side with the acoustic, whimsical sound, and then it breaks into this electric and yelling, preachy type of sound. I like it. What about you?
0: Yeah, you hear the hard rock theme, and then it leads into that quieter passage, like you were saying, clean guitar verse, where the hero brings the guitar before the priest and he plays for them. Then the Harabrock theme returns as the priests reject the guitar as a silly whim and that those ancient ways don't fit the plan. Like you said, they know about this. They don't want anything to disrupt the society. Everything runs smoothly. The Solar Federation has an iron grip on all facets of human life. And the guitar they see as a threat. Because they don't want it to lead to individualism and people thinking that this isn't right. They probably fear an uprising or being overthrown, of course. You know, any totalitarian Regime would fear that. The hero continues to plead his case, and the priests tell him not to annoy them further, and they end up destroying the guitar. It's not in the lyrics, but on the album, they sort of give it like a description of it. And so then the Temples of Cyrix theme returns. Alex plays a solo over it. His guitar soloing, it's very Jimmy Page-like. It's not precise. It's kind of all over the place. But it captures an intense feel. I love Alex Lifeson's playing.
1: I do too, actually. I think he's a tad underrated, in fact.
0: Yes, I agree with that. The problem is, Getty and Neil are so revered on their instruments.
1: Yeah, and that's always been the case, I mean, since their beginning, which is kind of disappointing when you think about it. Like I said, well, we both agree he's underrated because he's such a solid player. This part of it where he's doing his solo, which I think is excellent, it's kind of like an intermission in a movie, which I think is almost like what it's intended to do.
0: The next part, part five, Oracle the Dream.
1: This is a pretty cool tune. It's very choppy sounding. you know, got that guitar, that it's just kind of heavy sounding. And the way that Getty sings it, he kind of sings in tandem with it. It's kind of like stating the facts, the way that he sings it. It has a prophetic sound to it. It's a pretty cool way to transition into the next part. What do you think?
0: Yeah, as the story goes, the hero returns home and he has a dream. In the dream, an oracle appears who shows him the past before the Solar Federation rose a society where creativity and individuality flourished with great sculptured works of beauty driven by the pure spirit of man. This society, which in the story is referred to as the elder race, it wasn't destroyed by the Solar Federation, but they left the planets long ago. They were kind of kicked out. So they still exist. They're still out there. They're still creating and growing. And the Oracle shows him what the hero interprets to be the future, that someday the Elder Race is planning to return to the planets and tear the temples of Sirius down and reestablish their great society. During the dream, the music is heavy, rocking, choppy, like you described. It is also part of the overture. You hear this theme, and that's how this one ends. So we'll transition now into part six soliloquy. Shannon, your thoughts on this one?
1: This is a depressing song. <laughs> my least favorite of all the pieces. I mean, obviously for good reason. I mean, the guy kills himself. He sings in a depressed sounding. He's kind of exasperated. And it's kind of like the realization that it's just never going to happen or that he's never going to realize it at least. So my lifeblood spills over. Yeah, it's really just outright depressing. It's got a neat sound to it. It sounds exactly the way it should. What do you think, Aaron?
0: Well, it really becomes tragic, doesn't it? You hear water running, and it's a clean guitar section. The hero awakes, and he's depressed to still be in his world. He returns to the cave by the waterfall, but he's changed now. He can't return to his old life after everything he saw in his dream and everything that he's experienced.
1: No one could, really, after having an experience like that.
0: No. No, he is not the same that he was. He knows there's nothing he could do to change the views of the priests and this cold society. Then you get some more hard rock. And Getty really starts wailing. It has another good guitar solo from Alex. And I do love Getty's bass slides. Boom! The music pauses and you hear his bass slides, which I think are really cool, too, it, musically. The hero can't rise from his despair and he ends up committing suicide. And hopefully, maybe he returns to the world of his dreams. Who knows? And we reach part seven grand finale. Shannon, what do you think about this final part?
1: It kind of sums up the entire seven-part series pretty much just all instrumental, with the exception of at the end with Attention All Planets of the Solar Federation. We have assumed control, so it sounds like things do turn around. We have assumed control, so I'm assuming that that means that the people have finally risen or the elders have returned and they're finally coming back to, to take over. I think it sums up everything real well. It has like the explosion sounding of war. It's pretty cool. What do you think, Aaron?
0: Yeah, it's an upbeat instrumental. All three players are just rocking out.
1: Yeah, they're just it's like a one big solo.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's some fantastic drum fills from Neil. It's a crashing finish. It's sort of an ambiguous ending. You can almost interpret it either way. Obviously, it's another war that the Elder Race have returned and they're trying to overthrow the Solar Federation. I think it almost lends itself to be whatever you—is the glass half full or half empty to you?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I guess you could interpret it either way. I guess that's where I sided was with the, the glass
0: half full. Which is good because Neil Peart stated that's what he intended it to be. He intended it to be that the Elder Race returned and deposed the Solar Federation. At any rate, I do love it, and it's a great way to end this long, long track. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on side 2. A passage to Bangkok. Music by Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson, lyrics by Neil Peart. Oh, Shannon, what do you think about this one?
1: This is a cool tune. I really like how heavy... It comes in. We keep talking about a classic guitar or a classic Rush sound. This kind of does that for me. I really like the second side of this album a lot. I like it actually better than 2112. And this song is really cool. I even like the little guitar. You know, he's got that hard guitar. No, 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 no. It sounds kind of epic. And then he even does like this little bit of an Asian thing in there. that But then it kind of launches into like this lighter, upbeat, we're going on adventure type of a guitar sound. And I guess really what the song is about is marijuana, which I find pretty funny. So I think, I I don't know. I just really like it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's a cool, heavy riff from Alex. It turns into this mid-tempo rocker with lyrics about traveling the world and sampling the marijuana in different countries. I mean, it mentions visiting Colombia, Mexico, Jamaica, Morocco, Thailand, Nepal, and Lebanon. It's got a great catchy chorus. I love the riff playing underneath Alex's guitar solo, the guitar solo section. I love that riff. I love that. And his guitar solo is really good. And the part where the solo and the riff sync up at the same time, it's really, really cool. More great drum fills from Neil. I dig this track, totally. Moving on to the next track, we have The Twilight Zone. Music by Geddy Lee and Alex Lifeson. Lyrics by Neil Peart. Twilight Zone.
1: I really like this song. It's got this like really weird whiny guitar type of intro with the bass and drums, but then it switches up to an almost bluesy sounding verse. But then it switches again over to like this dreamy sound. You've got Getty Lee singing this. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. You have entered the Twilight Zone. It sounds exactly again the way that it's intended to be kind of prophetic sounding, spacey. It ends like with a guitar soul. And it actually has a, like a bit of, a, it sounds to me like a touch of harmonics almost mixed in with it. Very cool tune. What do you think, Aaron?
0: Yeah, in the verses, you get that clean guitar. It's a quiet mood. Getty sings verses with more urgency, and then it gets a little bit more dreamy on the chorus. I love that whispered vocal on the second chorus. Uh, The lyrically, it was inspired by the TV show, which Neil was a big fan of. The first verse itself, lyrically, is inspired by the episode, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up?
1: Oh, I love that episode. Oh, my God, I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. And the second verse is inspired by Sleepover in a Quiet Town. It's kind of got a whole hum solo by Alex. It's a little bit less inspired. This track was the last song written for the album, intended more or less as filler. I like the song. There's not a track on this album I don't like, but this is my least favorite. So that will make The Twilight Zone Aaron's Stinky Stinker. Oh, boo! Boo! Continuing on to the next track, Lessons. Music by Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson, lyrics by Alex Lifeson.
2: You know it, don't you
0: Shannon, how about this one?
1: Lifeson owns this song. This is all him, all the way. I mean, from beginning to end, it kind of fades in with like an acoustic sound. It almost has like a Led Zeppelin-ish type of feel to it, to me. It has a pretty heavy guitar solo, but it has like that really bouncy bass in there too. And of course, you can never go along with Peart. So I think this is another really cool song, but it's very upbeat and just jaunty. It's pretty cool. What do you think, Aaron?
0: Yeah, it's got the acoustic guitar intro that fades into the first verse, and it's got a harder rocking chorus. I love the second chorus riff that bridges back into the verses. You know, da-na, 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 da Yeah,
1: that, that's basically what I meant by that heavy guitar.
0: Yeah, that Led Zeppelin-ish thing you were saying. I get that vibe from it, too. The lyrics to me are about using your memories and your past to learn from as you go forward in life, even if others don't approve of what you're doing and you don't listen to them or follow their lessons. you got to follow your own path. Sort of the individualistic theme of this album Alex solos as the song fades out And he does a great job with that You're right, this song is totally Alex Lifeson I really do dig this track Now we move on to Tears Music by Geddy Lee and Alex Lifeson Lyrics by Geddy Lee
2: I noticed the motion
0: on me about this
1: one. Just think about the title alone. It's depressing. It's kind of cool the way that he plays the guitars. You know, back to Alex again. Another comment about the fact that he's underrated. I love the way that it almost sounds off key. I mean, it's not, obviously, but it has this weird tone to it, this type of tone that he's playing. And you've got Getty singing kind of like in harmony with it. This is where the Mellotron is also played, I believe. It's melancholy, but it's really lovely. He sings it very undramatically, in my opinion. Again, I think it's what the song's about and what the sound is, they go hand in hand. I think it's a very good song, which is unusual for me, considering that I don't tend to really like the depressing ones, but this has a different vibe to it somehow. What do you think?
0: I think you said just about everything that needs to be said about this. It's a soft, quiet ballad. Uh, you were right, Hugh Stein plays the Mellotron. That gives a soft atmosphere, a sad atmosphere. Alex plays a lot of acoustic guitar. Getty's singing is heartfelt, quiet, and tender with no screeching. Neil doesn't play any odd time signatures or fills in this, so that's very unusual for a Rush song. It's got a haunting and sad vibe. The lyrics are a little hard for me to understand, but my take on it is it's a relationship that's been strained for a long time. The two people have opened up to each other a little bit, they've told the truth, they've been honest with each other, and now they're crying with the emotional weight of it, and it's affecting both of them deeply. That's the best I can pull out of it. Jesus, now I am sad. And that brings us to the final track on the record. Something for Nothing. Music by Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson, lyrics by Neil Peart. Think about the last song.
1: This is a pretty cool tune, but I, I like it and I don't like it. I love the way it starts. I really like the way there's like that guitar picking intro, and then the bass kind of moves in and then the drums. And then it just kind of like speeds up with Getty's like classic yelling. And then it gets like faster paced and the way that he's singing it is almost like evangelistic sounding, like he's preaching, you know, about having this something for nothing, kind of angry. It's cool the way that it starts, but I think the ending is somewhat weak. I'm not sure why I'm kind of disappointed with it because it felt so strong, I guess, going in. I don't know, it just feels too preachy maybe at the end. Maybe it's the way that he's singing. Maybe it's the style itself. That's my take on it. How do you think it ends?
0: The first verse is quieter, but the song builds power as it goes along, getting louder each verse and in the choruses, where Getty's really screeching again. I dig Alex's solo, it kicks ass. The lyrics are about self-reliance, being your own person, your achievements and dreams come about when you make it happen instead of relying on others to do it for you. It kind of brings it back to the theme of 2112 and individualism. Alex solos as the song rocks out and fades. I dig this track. I think it's a great final song. I really like it. Now that the track by track is done, let's move into our final thoughts and album rating. The album rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which is a pile of dog shit. So Shannon, how do you feel about Rush's 2112?
1: This is a great album. I felt a little insecure because the song 2112 is so involved. I mean, there's so many different parts to it. It's a great storyline. There are so many different authors out there and musicians that write in a very similar fashion. But the second side of this, it really kind of takes off for me, if you will. It's a powerful album. You can't go wrong with Rush. I mean, talk about power of the trio. You don't have musicians like this in the rock world that get much better than this, honestly. They're excellent live, highly recommend it anytime anybody gets to see them. They're a real joy to watch. In terms of this album, again, I like it. I would give him a four. I think it's just fantastic. How do you think about it?
0: This record was a critical one for Rush. At the time, their record company was thinking about getting rid of them. They were known basically as a Led Zeppelin clone band, even though they were using like conceptual themes in their prior records. But they were at a crossroads at this point, and they knew they had to come up with something really big, really good. They stuck to their guns and put out this big, huge concept record on one side and then a collection of separate songs on the other. They put this out, and thank goodness it became a smash.
1: Yeah, because, you know, there were real doubts about it, just to add in a little background on that as well. Their international label, Mercury, they had to talk them into doing one last album. So this was like a do it or die type of situation because they were broke. I'm so glad it worked out.
0: Yeah, me too. Otherwise there may have been no rush anymore. So this album, it's A huge fan favorite. I do love this record a lot. It's my second favorite Rush album. This is a five for me. I love this band. Everything about it. Neil Peart, what can you say? Tremendous. One of the great drummers of all time. Geddy Lee, one of the great bass players of all time. Alex Lifeson, tremendous guitar player. Fits in with the band perfectly. I love this record. It gets the five. Now I'd like to acknowledge everyone who liked and or shared last week's podcast on Facebook. So thank you, Paul Lang, Thomas Martin, Fernando Gestalver, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Tony Leon, and Anne Martel. And to everyone who has downloaded the podcast or just given it a listen, we thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to check out our little show. We hope you continue to go on this musical journey with us each week, and we appreciate your support. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbeam. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there is a link to hear each podcast, including the Siblings on Record branch of the show. You can also review the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email and we'll set it up. We're always looking for guests to host the show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. For Siblings on Record, I'm Aaron.
1: And I am Shannon. Bye, everybody. Bye.
2: Now, so I'll just start talking. Oh, I'm, I was not sure if you need me to say it. Because you already said, How do you feel about it? I and thought just, so, but yeah. I couldn't really. So I'm just gonna start talking. I'm just pausing to get, get myself collected. Okay, I'm trying not <clears> to interrupt <throat> you. So shut up. Hey. Shut your mouth. Oh, Okay, David Bowie. I'm gonna be. <laughs> shoot. I'm gonna be. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Should I do that
1: over here?
2: Oh, You better not. You got two separate tracks. I'll just edit your ass out. I'll edit your ass right on out. So there.